0: Love, talk, radio.
1: Welcome, welcome to episode 32 of the No Look Past podcast presented to you by WRSPN.com. We want to thank you for tuning in. You could be listening to anything in the world, but you're here with us, and we appreciate that. I'm your host, Frank Santos, aka my mom's favorite son who needs to see Whitemans versus Wawa in a steel cage match. It's the fight Mayweather and Pacquiao should have been. I have my co-host with me, Andy i know what's good?
0: Man, I just want to shout out the new head coach of the Orlando Magic, Mr. Frank Vogel. Applause! Applause! Applause!
1: Yeah, if if you felt like an earthquake in your house, that was just Andy celebrating Frank Vogel's hiring, and and he just got a little little carried away with himself. We are going to get into our show. We obviously are going to be talking all things playoffs. We have Western Conference uh, sort of preview of tonight's game, and then we want to talk about what's been happening in the Eastern Conference series. You know, what kind of chances do the Raptors have after their game three victory? And then we want to give out some playoff awards. You know, we, we like to get a little creative with, with the awards. We sort of name them after a player and kind of what they've represented. But first, we are going to get into the outlet pass. It's the first pass in any fast break, so this is the first pass in our show. Let's run for conference finals tonight, Andy. We got game three in OKC after a split in Golden State. Um, Andy, you're on record as saying the series is going seven, and based on how it's played out so far, I don't suspect you're, you're going to jump ship but tell me what you're expecting tonight. Any adjustments to look out for from Steve Kerr or uh, Bobby Donovan, Billy's twin brother who actually knows how to coach?
0: Well, yeah, I, I think with Bobby, he knows he needs to make all these adjustments, uh, a.k.a. Billy. I feel like we give Billy a hard time. <laughs> just just yeah, when I'm kind do. of starting to like the things he's uh, – you know, I'm starting to like the things he's doing uh, as these playoffs go on. But, yeah, I mean, they need to make the most adjustments. They got whooped last game. Uh, the bright side of this is if you're, uh, you know – member of the Oklahoma City Thunder is you stole game one that still happened Um, I think I really have a feeling Golden State's going to actually take this first game uh, in OKC I, I just I feel like this series is giving me that vibe and then I expect Oklahoma City to tie it back up before game five I think this game's important though I know we talk about the importance of game fives all the time and I still think that game five is very important but I think this could be important I feel like Golden State really needs to get this game um, or else it's going to become a mental thing because, okay, so you got the game won there. Maybe I'm reading into it too much, but I do. I think it's a, it's a bigger game tonight than it really uh, feels like it is.
1: I, I do agree that it definitely is a big game, and, and I think you make a good point with everybody does talk about game five, but they sort of forget how we how we get there. And the one adjustment I'm looking for is, and I, it's been – you know, many people have discussed sort of like Andre Roberson. You know, you can't really leave this guy on the court, even though he has been he has played very well for them throughout the playoffs, especially defensively. But you can't leave him out on the court and have a Tony Allen situation where you're literally playing four on five against the Golden State Warriors. They're just too good. You, your your offense is just going to suffer. They can literally leave this guy open all game, and he's not going to hit shots. So something I'm looking for is maybe a little more Randy Foy. I think the OKC may go small and sort of play that smaller uh, Westbrook, Randy Foy backcourt against against the Warriors because we we do know that the Warriors always like to go small. So that's something I'm looking for. Randy Foy is obviously somebody that needs to be respected at the three-point line. As far as adjustments for OKC, I mean, I, or, or as for Golden State, I don't really see see them doing much adjustment-wise. I think they might go small more. I think they, they sort of saw, saw how that works and I think we still haven't answered the question in this series, which is can you play the Cantor and Adams lineup against Golden State's small lineup, and how successfully can you play that lineup? So uh, that's one thing I'm looking for in this game, how that sort of storyline plays out, because I don't think we've seen it enough to, to sort of know the answer so far. And then obviously Roberson, I think, is going to maybe sitting on the bench a little bit more today, maybe in place of a guy like Randy Floyd, who has to be respected. Any more thoughts about, about this game? Do you, you, you still think it's going seven in this series?
0: Yeah, I still think it's going 7 and Thing I think exclusively against Golden State because of what they can do to you running small ball. I think this, that, that is on the court at the same time, only work, uh depending on the flow of the game. I think you go out and say, well, tonight I'm going to do it and I'm going to stick to it. You have to evolve as the game goes on. And It's a risky lineup. It's a lineup that can pay off. If Golden State's slacking off and they're missing and we've seen it happen. It does happen occasionally. I mean, it's like the rare unicorn, but they do have games to miss shots and they start out slowly. And I think that's when you kind of take advantage while they're missing shots. But I don't think it can be something you plan for ahead of the time. I think you need to feel it out.
1: That's that's interesting. I mean, I, I think it, it it is sort of like an identity thing. So I I sort of disagree with you a little bit. I I do think you have to kind of take each game as it goes, like throughout the game. But I think pregame you can sort of plan like, okay, we're going to try and kill them on the boards, and this is how we're going to do it. But I I do respect what you're saying. I, I understand that like sometimes it might get away from you, and and if Golden State is just hitting too many shots, then you might have to abandon it if if they're just like getting hot from three, and you know those big guys can't get out to defend that three point shot. You might have to jump ship and, and sort of try and play their game, But, yeah, we'll see. Um, here's a random stat I found, though, um, and I want to ask you, sort of r- relating to this, of, of the five 8-over-1 seat upsets that we've had in, in NBA history, only two of them would have a bigger win-loss differentiation than if OKC beats Golden State. So Golden State is 18 games better than OKC in the regular season. Only the Warriors over the Mavs in 2007 and the Nuggets over the Sonics in 1994 were bigger discrepancies than that as far as upsets go uh, with the eight over one. So my question to you is how big of an upset do you think it would be if OKC were to beat Golden State in in the conference finals? I mean, do you think it compares to those? Because, I mean, I would say that it doesn't, obviously, with the talent that OKC has. But it would be a pretty big upset, right?
0: Uh, Digging back into the conversations I have while we're not on the phone, my buddy texted (laughs) me the other night. Uh, He lives out of state now, he's in the Navy, and he said, you know, he's not the biggest basketball fan, but he's, he really is kind of digging what Golden State's doing, he likes the, you know, the, the, you know, the ball and all that, and it's kind of drawing him back to the playoffs this year, and he said to me the other day, what would be a bigger set if Cleveland got beat by Toronto, or if Golden State lost the OKC? And I think it's real simple to say, well, with the way they did breaking the record, it's, That's huge in the record because it's going to just say they lost against a three seed and it's going to kind of leave out how good OKC really was as, as where the Cleveland thing right now would be crazy to me if they lost to Toronto, even after that game the other night. But when it's all said and done, it's not going to, it wouldn't look like as big of a deal. So I think, yeah, for longevity's sake, I, I think it'd be a huge upset because they just broke the win records um, but knowing basketball, like we know basketball and watching, you know, I I've said it all season, I watched a lot of OKC this year. I, I really think that this team is playing the way they're supposed to be playing now uh, in these playoffs. A lot of those games they lost, if everybody recalls correctly, they, they do games late. So we, we've seen sure. this team hit up pound, guys for, or pound other teams for three quarters and then just lose it. They're not doing that anymore. So to me, it's not really the craziest thing to think OKC can win this series.
1: Yeah, to to your point, I think OKC had the, had the NBA record for most games blown in the fourth quarter. I think it was, what, 16 or 17 games that they led in the fourth quarter and lost, um, again, to your point. And the other thing is, you're, you're talking about in comparison to Toronto and Cleveland, if I remember correctly, Toronto and Cleveland were only one game apart in the regular season, and it, it's funny, yeah. I think most – most people, if not everybody, would agree with you that, like, if Toronto were to upset Cleveland right now, I think it would be a much bigger upset than if OKC were to upset Golden State. And you're talking about teams that basically had identical regular seasons in Toronto and Cleveland. So, so that's an interesting thing I wanted to kind of bring out there into the forum. And uh, it'll be interesting to see, you know, how big of if if OKC does pull it off, how big of an upset people do consider it in, in the grand scheme of things. That that'll be an interesting storyline, I think. We're going to move on. Before we get into the Eastern Conference Finals, we sort of wanted to recap thus far in the playoffs, and we had a few categories we wanted to get into of, you know, certain players that, that sort of had good postseasons, maybe people that had not good enough Postseasons, that kind of thing. So we're going to start with, with the good. We're going to start with who is the Lamarcus M- Aldridge of this postseason, Andy, the guy that just had his coming out party, and and he's arrived on the scene. And we need to know his name, maybe a name that us basketball fans knew beforehand, and now the casual fan is going to start of get sort of get familiar with.
0: I mean, I I think uh, you know I I do want to mention as I get to my player here that I, I think, uh, Clay Thompson's had one of those playoffs where it's like. You know, it's like uh, where you would consider Steph Curry for the most improved player this year, where he, he's not going to get the nod because we all know what Clay Thompson can do. But I think it's been huge for him in this postseason. Some of the games without Curry, we really got to see that he could carry a team a bit. But my guy is Kemba Walker. Uh, it feels a little uh, Jeff Teague from a couple of years ago, where we know Kemba can play and people know who Kemba Walker is. But I think with the Hornets. They're not, you know, it's not a large market team. It's not the Lakers or, you know, the Celtics, where even if the team's mediocre, you get to see the player a lot. Charlotte was good this year, and I think Kemba was maybe the biggest part of that. (laughs) Um, And it's interesting because I think if you ask people right now, where do you rank Kemba Walker as point guards go in the league, and he's probably somewhere right in the middle there in most people's minds because the league's just packed with these good point guards. So I I really like what Kemba did. Uh, He had a, a really good postseason. Obviously, they fell short. Um, to, to the heat in the first round, but I, I still think that it was kind of those things where now people, you know, they really have seen what this kid's capable of.
1: I think one thing about Kemba Walker to the casual NBA fan, maybe your buddy that, that says he kind of just gets into the playoffs this year, that kind of thing is, I think if people watch Kemba Walker on Charlotte, and you be like, oh, is that the dude from UConn that hit the, the shot at Madison Square Garden? Like, they don't even know he's <laughs> in the league, maybe, you know, at this point. They just remember him from that moment. I think that's his most memorable basketball moment so far in his career. And I, I agree with you that he's definitely on that list of guys that sort of came out into the NBA spotlight, like, you know, like you're saying, plus hardcore fans sort of know Kemba Walker is a very good player, um, probably arguably a top – you know, 10 to 15 point guard, like you're saying, but he really did did show something this postseason. I also I had Clay Thompson on my list. I actually have two names because I thought you were going to pick Clay Thompson. and I didn't want to repeat your pick. So, but I'll also commend Clay Thompson. And I didn't pick him because I knew that your prediction was the whole thing that Clay Thompson was great without Seth Curry, and I didn't want to steal your shine a little bit. Um, but the guy I actually went with is a former teammate of LaMarcus Aldridge. I went with Damian Lillard. I thought that. He really had the moment where you looked at him in this playoffs uh, with the first round, obviously the first round maybe quote-unquote upset. It's hard to call it an upset when the Clippers were so short-handed. But, um, and then, you know, they went against Golden State, and I thought Damian Lillard really showed that he can be the leader of a team. And I think people that watched the Portland Trailblazers play this postseason thought, like, oh, wow, that's that's their best player. Like, that's the best player on a, on a playoff team. And they looked at him and they said, like, Damian Lillard can really lead a team and he can be that guy. And I'm not really sure that he had that reputation before and maybe even before the season. I think he sort of showed it this season and then in the playoffs, I don't really think he disappointed. Uh, We're going to go a little bit negative, not really negative, because it's sort of, we're going to call it the Chris Paul Award. This is a guy that should have advanced further. As we know, Chris Paul is notorious for his inability to get past a certain point in the playoffs. So who is that player that maybe should have been in the conference finals or should have been in the second round, but, just couldn't pull it off for whatever reason
0: listen there's going to be a really a very obvious name that I'm skipping over here uh because we all know it's one guy that that's the most disappointing um but I'm gonna go I went with Paul Millsap and I hate the dog Paul Millsap because I really do like the guy but he just if you recall correctly he got a big paycheck in the offseason from Atlanta something like to the tune of 20 million a year I know this because Orlando tried to offer him that same deal. Uh, But I feel like Millsap got keyed on against Cleveland coming into that series as the guy they were going to rely on because that team didn't have a star. And I don't think they were saying Paul Millsap's our superstar, but I think it kind of got to the point where Teague was disappointing a little bit and Corver's a little old. Horford's not going to really be the guy to carry you. And I think it, it fell on Paul Millsap and, Man, he was he was dreadful sometimes. Sometimes he was really good, and then sometimes it was like, why does he have seven points in the fourth quarter? Like, what are you doing to me, man? And it was almost like Millsap, in a sense, was okay with what was going on. So, I, I don't know. I, I just I lost it for Paul a little bit during these playoffs.
1: It was almost as if Paul Millsap, all-NBA, arguably first or second team player, like transformed back into like Paul Millsap fringe, kind of second, third best player on your team that Paul Millsap's been pretty much for the majority of his career. It was like he kind of reverted back to his, to his like 2012 self and there was just no way to to return him. Uh, I also went with a Paul. I went with Paul George. I really think, and I don't think it's any fault of his own, but I I really think it, it matches the Chris Paul thing because he played well enough, maybe individually to advance to the next round. I don't think anybody would combat that. Paul George had an incredible season. He had an incredible series, but he just sort of went up against a better team. Maybe he just didn't have it in the exact moments that he needed to have it. I think the Pacers had a lot of opportunities to close out the Raptors in that in that series that ended up going seven. And I don't think you can make Paul George blameless in the fact that they weren't able to pull it off. You know, they they did have certain possessions that that really would have hampered the Raptors' chances to advance, and they really didn't capitalize. They were turnover prone, and I think at some point that does land on your star at least partially. Um, And and as we know, they've had a change of coaching staff. So I'm I'm really curious how Paul George is going to react. And, you know, Paul George really is a player that needs to advance further in the playoffs eventually, maybe sooner rather than later, because he's sort of at that weird stage where he's a younger developing player, but he's kind of in his prime as well. And it's, it's one of those things, just like Chris Paul, it's like, oh, before you know it, it's been like 10 years. (laughs) <laughs> and he hasn't been in the finals. And you're like, oh, wow, Paul George hasn't been in the finals? No, he hasn't. It's ridiculous. So, you know, it, it's kind of one of those things I'm looking out for. But I went with Paul George.
0: I skipped over James Harden because James Harden is the quite like the obvious name here. like Because he's he's the biggest name. And I know he faced Golden State, but my argument would be, why are you the eighth seed? Um, and, and I think, you know, he has some explaining some to do. But we'll get into that
1: in another time. I think time. my mind – my mind just completely forgot about James Harden. I may or may not have placed a wager on the Houston Rockets in the preseason to win their over, which was like fifty-eight and a half games, because I thought they were just going to light on fire. And uh, you know, the Kardashian curse is real. That's all I got to say. So we're going to go. He was, he was my MVP a- pick. You uh, remember he that? Was, my he was MVP your pick. MVP pick. Then again, I picked Anthony Davis, of so who am I talk? But uh, <laughs> we're going to go more traditionally for our last award. Just simply, who's been the MVP of the playoffs so far? Just pick one guy. He's just been the man.
0: I'm going to go in an obvious direction. I'm taking Russell Westbrook. I think, you know, to me it boiled down to Westbrook or Kevin Durant. Um, in, in my finals here, I had, it was very close. I think knocking off San Antonio was – such a big deal. Upsetting Golden State in game one is such a big deal. A lot of people, including myself, I said they'd lose to the Spurs in five after their game one loss. Like, we had, you know, people had lost faith in this team, and it was easy, too, with all those games they dumped early. But I think Westbrook has been phenomenal. Right around 25 points, 11 assists, over six rebounds. His percentage from deep is up about 32%. I think he's having a heck of a series, and I think he's really the, the key factor against Golden State uh, because of what he can do on offense, obviously, and the things he can try to do to slow down Steph Curry defensively. So, Westbrook's my guy.
1: So, you had it between Westbrook and Durant. I didn't even consider either one of those guys. I went with old school LBJ, LeBron James. He doesn't get MVPs anymore in the regular season because Steph Curry is the best player now, but he can certainly get an MVP in the postseason for me. Uh, 27.3 PR shooting 52.6%, which is actually the second best in his playoff career. Um, of all the historic playoff runs that he's had, the 2013-2014 was clearly his his best playoffs ever statistically, but he's he's sort of putting up numbers similar to that this year in less minutes. And I really like, I really like his his leadership. You know, in a younger team, we we saw in the regular season sort of LeBron getting a little grumpy. I guess would be the best word to to put it. And I think we've seen more of a reserved like. This is what I was preparing you guys for. So I'm going to be a little hard on you, but, you know, this is, this is why I was yelling at you in the regular season because we're here now. So now we're going to be a team. Now we're going to be together. And I think you even saw – I think you've seen maybe the confidence in guys like Kevin Love, even though he had a bad game last night, which we'll get into, um, and, and Kyrie Irving The sort of uh, – I don't know, like have more confidence that LeBron has confidence in them, if that makes sense. And I think one thing that you've seen, even in that, in in the playoffs, is LeBron has handled the ball more in the postseason than he has in the regular season. I just think he's taken over both mentally and physically for this team. And for that, he was he was my MVP, along with the fact that they hadn't lost a, a playoff game until last night. So let's move on. Let's get into the, the Raptors versus the Cavaliers, the Eastern Conference Finals. Um, obviously, the Raptors came back into home court after going down 2-0 in Cleveland, won game three in the dot to the joy of Jurassic Park and the like. Um, did, the Raptors, did the Raptors show something that makes you think they can be Cleveland's first challenge of the playoffs, or is it just kind of a gentleman sweep waiting to happen? No. Yeah, I,
0: they, they still haven't <laughs> showed me anything. I mean, listen, Cleveland scored 84 points, and to me I, I feel like that's a little misleading. I, it's a weird score to have, um, you know, even I, and I think Toronto was definitely responsible for a lot of that. But when after the game you find yourselves talking about Bismack, Biombo like nonstop, I I don't know what else to say. I mean, Kyle Lowry showed flashes of being an acceptable player again. But the 84 points is really where I stand on this. I, I just I feel like it's kind of one of those games that that's just not not a realistic indicator of how the rest of the series is going to go. Um I, I really do expect Cleveland to just close it out from here uh the next two games.
1: Yeah, I don't want to I don't want to jump you know jump on too too quick on, on on the Raptors here, but you know I I agree. I really didn't see much it, you know, it really just seemed like Kevin Love had a very off game. Kyrie Irving had a very off game and you know, the Raptors did what they were supposed to do. You're coming home, you're down 2-0, you play with that desperation. And you know, we've seen this in playoff series in all sports historically the team that goes down and is coming back home they just have a certain level of intensity that the other teams simply can't match because for some reason it's the same thing like in an nba game i'll still never understand this how a team gets up by 20 points and then they they somehow the other team can cut the lead to four because this team just lollygags how many times do you have to go up 20 points and realize that it's not a big enough lead in the nba to kind of play at the same intensity Same thing happens in the playoffs. When you go up 2-0, you just kind of lose it in game three a little bit. And I think that's what happened for the Cavaliers. And I I think the Raptors, they did well. They did what they were supposed to do. Bismack Bionbo, we are going to mention his name, was incredible. Um, I think the most rebounds in Raptors' playoff history, I want to say he had 24 or 25 last night. So let me ask you this. Even though we both think that it's not something that's going to translate, did you see something that they did that that worked? Or was it just completely that Cleveland – just didn't just didn't have it. Or did you see something that maybe if they were to be able to uh duplicate it could could make them more of a threat?
0: Oh I mean obviously we talked about the rebounds, old uh Bismack Mutumbo and and whatever he was doing out there wagging the finger and everything and you know I think I feel like That was
1: great by the way. That was incredible. It
0: was great. I feel like Kyle Lowry and DeMar DeRozan got some shots that, you know, if you're a Raptors fan or if if you're Dwayne Casey, you like the shots they got. I, I, I mean, that's really the most I can say. And I don't ever want to say, well, they only won because Cleveland played bad. I, I kind of feel like that's a cop-out sometimes. But I will say Lowry was, like, over 50% from the field. DeRozan was 50% from the field. Do you feel like those two guys are going to keep shooting 50%? I, I just – to me, it, it really is one of those games that's just kind of a head-scratcher. And I feel like they played, well, they played well enough to win. They scored 99 points, which is nine over what they're averaging in this series after three games. So that's a lot. And, you know, I feel like that's obviously a factor. But I feel like it was, you know, just, just good enough. It wasn't even like they were doing anything impressive late in the game. I just feel like Cleveland let their lead just kind of grow. Or you know, not yeah. not go backwards. It, they just it was it was one of those. It was kind of, you could kind of tell it was over a few minutes before it was over. Uh, it wasn't one of those instances where I, I felt like the Cavs were going to come back. But no, I don't know. And, unless there are two volume shooters can continue to to shoot up near fifty percent, this this series is still over.
1: And that's one thing that we talked about before the series even started was that DeRozan is normally a guy that gets to the line a lot, and he's gotten to the line you know, an, an average amount in the playoffs thus far, but he's really been a volume shooter in the playoffs. And I I think we saw that last night, even though he was hot last night, he was hitting a lot of, you know, DeMar is such a weird player for me because he takes what I consider like a lot of bad shots, but sometimes when he's hot, they just go in. It's like, it's it's very Jamal Crawfordish where he just has that 20-footer, and, he, you know, he gets to his spot, and you know he's going to shoot it, and you're like, you got a man in your face, or you're going to shoot it anyways. But, you know, when he's on, it, it seems like that's really his shot and that's his game. So you you don't want to stop it too much. The one thing I I do want to say about the Raptors that has kind of troubled me in this series is it seemed like Dwayne Casey was sort of a lot more prone to experiment in earlier rounds, especially in the last round against Miami. You know, he had uh, Bay in there. We had um, – the guy that we haven't seen thus far in the Eastern Conference Finals, which I I thought gave them pretty decent minutes, was the rookie, Powell. You know, he was in there, you know, throughout the first couple rounds sort of, you know, he had sort of these guys where whether it was foul trouble or whether it was you were just looking for a hot hand to see if this guy can give you a spark. I felt like Casey was more prone to bring these guys out. And in, in this series, it seems like he's more reserved and he just wants to go with the guys that, that have been performing for him all season and he's just going to go out with, with who he came in with, which is one way to go about it. But I feel like when you're in the playoffs, especially when you're facing what we've also, we're, we're, we're definitely not the only people saying like this is the better team. The Cleveland Cavaliers are, are the better team. So when you're the worst team, like sometimes you got to pull a, a trick out of your deck, you know, maybe it's something that they're not expecting, that kind of thing. So I would really like to see more of that with the Raptors. That being said, um, I don't, I mean, I'm not a huge Dwayne Casey fan anyways, so I don't really see them being able to pull something off here. And one thing that could happen, and I'm curious what you think about this, is it seems like Damari Carroll is starting to turn a corner. Like, it's not it's – not, he doesn't look like a guy that's like 80% out there anymore.
0: Yeah, no, he – I mean, and that's, that's probably the the best news you're going to get. I think he played closer to 30 minutes in this game. And they need him, obviously. I mean, for obvious reasons, there's really not too many guys in the league that you feel comfortable with guarding LeBron James. And, you know, while nobody's going to stop him, I feel like Carroll is at least a, a capable guy. And they need, they need more of that. They need more of what Biombo did. Uh, they need a little bit more out of Luis Scola, I think. He, he, or Luis Scola, he's a guy who's really playing like he's 100. So they, they've got to get something working here. Corey Joseph is still playing pretty well.
1: Yeah, and the other thing is that you're, you're hoping this is going to be back at some point, in maybe later in the series, and you can kind of pull him out of your deck, maybe rested put the rest of his body and not, not the ankle, but the rest of the body will be rested and maybe has a little more energy. But we are going to move on. Be- before we move on to the end of our show, you need more people. We want to give a new shout-out to our co-signs. We have some Facebook groups that have co-signed the podcast. They're going to shout us out, so we're going to shout them out. Uh, we got Real NBA Talk on Facebook, and the homies, you know, these are the day one sports overtime. That sports with a Z, S-P-O-R-T-Z, overtime. And we want to shout out those two Facebook groups. If you're in a Facebook group or an admin of a Facebook group, you know, give us a shout-out on our Twitter account. We can work something out. Give you a shout-out. You give us a shout-out. That's how we work things around here. But we are going to move on to the end of our show. As Jay-Z once told us. Well. We don't believe
0: you. You need more people.
1: He told us eventually. Uh, Every week, somebody in the NBA matches just that mold. Andy, who needed more people this week in the NBA?
0: I'm going to shout out the Toronto Raptors security team up there at Jurassic Park. They didn't even recognize their own mascot, or at least that's what's being reported. Uh, DeMar DeRozan, I don't know how you can forget that mug, but he apparently was forgotten. They didn't want to let him in the arena because they didn't recognize him. In his own arena. (laughs)
1: <laughs> yo, yo, Raptor Security. I, I just got a word. It's yeah. all there, <laughs> is, black
0: and white, clear as crystal. You get nothing. You lose. Good day, sir.
1: You just gotta hold that out real quick. I am also going with a Raptor. I'm going with Jonas Allen agent. This is more of a futuristic. You need more people because I know you're gonna walk into Masai's office this off season asking for 12 million a year, and all he's gonna say is that. Your client couldn't outperform beyond both this postseason, so listen. Well, it, we it's don't just ridiculous. you. You need more people. All right, Andy. We got a couple of extra minutes. Is what else do you want to talk about? Maybe give us give us like a Frank Vogel preview of the Orlando Magic. That that's what we should talk about for two more minutes.
0: <laughs> Gladly, I'll I'll oblige here. Um, you know, the the thing I think is I was pretty devastated when Scott Skiles just kind of stepped down and was like, like a grumpy old uncle or something. I'm not right for this team anymore. And you know, I, I liked what Skiles did. I liked things he brought to the table. I know there were some issues with the roster here and I think this is where this, this came from. I think there were some personnel player issues, but you know, there was two coaches and I said it right away, only two coaches available that anybody's talking about that I would have considered an up, an upgrade to Scott Skiles, and that was uh, Mark Jackson, and Frank Vogel was uh, honestly on the top of my list. I was ecstatic. I think attracting a coach like Vogel, to me, says that the magic look ready to make the next step. I mean, they did win 10 games more than they won last season, uh, and and I feel like, you know, Vogel's not going to come into a situation. You're talking to a guy who has a pretty good record, one of 11 coaches since 2000 to make back-to-back conference uh, finals. Um. Wow. And I think he's the right player to, to turn young personnel around. And, and I feel like for, you know, a coach of that caliber, he's, he's really come a long ways in the past five or six years. I, I think for a coach of that caliber to step in and say, this is a team that I have interest in coaching, I think that says a lot about this young magic core. Um, honestly, Aaron Gordon, a guy like that, uh, you know, you got Mario Hanzonia, Victor Oladipo, these young guys, Nikola Vucevic. I, I think, you know, there are some alluring pieces there. And there's a lot of money to, to play with in the off season, so... I think it's kind of a win-win. I'm excited.
1: That that was perfect. I think any the, the three Orlando Magic fans that listen to this podcast are going to be ecstatic about the last two <laughs> minutes of the show. We're we're the only podcast that can end a conference finals podcast with Orlando Magic talk. And I also want to throw in that I watched a Kenny Atkinson press conference the other day just on my own time because that that's what I do. I'm that kind of net fan. Kenny Atkinson, player development guy, you're going to be great for the Nets. But that is the end of our show for this week. Join us next week as we continue our journey around the NBA. Make sure to follow the podcast on Twitter at NLP Podcast to watch us live tweet Alan Iverson memories. You know we're going to do it. We will close, as we always do, with the great philosopher, Jason Waring Chocolate Williams, who once probably thought basketball is a lot like last call at the bar, sometimes better than pass without looking. And with that, we bid you good night.